Now let us together turn to the New Testament scriptures in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you are a visitor, we encourage you to follow the reading in your own Bible or the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 11, and we are reading from verse 23 to verse 34. The instructions for the observation of the Lord's Supper as they are delivered to us by the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians, verse 23, from chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Now we have come this morning in our congregation to the observation of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, an occasion that is not all too frequent according to our Presbyterian forms of public worship. We normally come quarterly in this congregation or four times a year. And it is a very blessed occasion for us on this Lord's Day morning and one in which I feel it is fitting as we pursue the theme of a number of scriptural topics on these Sunday mornings, an occasion to come this morning to the subject of communion with Christ. For surely a life that is lived in the power of God's Spirit, a Spirit-filled life for the Christian, does include at its very center and heart the thought of a rich and co continuing communion with the Lord Jesus, the great King and Head of His Church. Now we recall this morning that the sacrament that will be before us shortly in this service is indeed a prime occasion for communion with the Lord Jesus. And many of you, I'm sure, are aware that as well as being called <clears throat> the Lord's Supper and sometimes the Eucharist or the Thanksgiving, one of the most common names among Presbyterians 
for the Supper of the Lord is the communion or the communion service. Now today, beloved, those of us who are believers and members of an evangelical and Bible-believing church are invited by the gracious command and invitation of the Lord Jesus, as it were, to be his guests at this table that presently will be furnished in front of us. Now it's even possible that some may be coming very early on in their Christian lives to this table, if not for the first time, on a very early occasion, and some of you may have come frequently before to this table. But whatever your experience and maturity may be in the Christian life, you need to consider with us this morning the meaning of this blessed supper of the Lord. What are we doing together, beloved, this morning as we come to this table? Particularly, what is the intention of the Lord Jesus for his church as we come to this table again here today? And that is why we have read from the book of Deuteronomy today and from the book of First Corinthians in the New Testament. And in a very beautiful and wonderful way, I want to suggest to you that in one verse from that New Testament reading, verse 26, there is summarized the center and the heart of the meaning of communion with Christ. Look at that verse again with me in your Bible. As the <clears throat> Apostle Paul says to us, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. Now there are three things from that single verse of great importance that summarize, as I say, the central meaning of communion with Christ at his table. And the first is this. It is an occasion when we proclaim Christ as our Savior. And I want you to think about that great truth. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, said the apostle, you proclaim his death. Now let me say to you that very often among Christian people as they think of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, in their thought, uppermost, is the idea of celebration. We come to this table rejoicing that Christ has become our Savior in the sense that he is ours and we are his. And there is fellowship between us and he communicates himself to us and gives us rich blessings, and the idea is one of celebration at the Lord's table. And my dear friends, this is both right and necessary, but it should be a celebration. But what I want to tell you this morning is that before the table is ever thought of as a celebration in Scripture, it is thought of, surely, as a proclamation. We proclaim Christ as our Savior. In the Apostle Paul's words, as we come to the table, you proclaim his death. And it is a proclamation, therefore, first and foremost, before every other consideration. 
Now let's think about the table in the light, then, of what the apostle brings to us. What is its message concerning this proclamation? Well, it is a message concerning the Lord's death, as the Apostle Paul says. The one we proclaim died a death, a particular death. A death, as we will see in a moment, that was really our death and belonged to us. But he took it, and he died that death as our Savior for us. And this is what we are proclaiming as we come to hold communion with him. Now, as I say, think about this with me for a moment and let us explore it together in the light of Scripture. Do you remember the context in which the Apostle Paul reminds us that this service took place? It was on the night in which he was betrayed, verse 23. And what night was that? It was of all nights, the Passover night, that night never to be forgotten in the annals of the history of Israel, continued from generation to generation and celebrated still in the time of our Lord's earthly ministry in Palestine, the ever-memorable night of the Passover. And this, you see, is what illustrates our proclamation of the death of Christ. Do you remember, as we read in the passage from Deuteronomy, how it was described there that on that night an event happened in the history of Israel that was to be celebrated always? In bondage they had been in Egypt under that bitter hardship for 400 years, slaves of a strange people, yet themselves the elect and chosen of God, through whom his very purposes for the world would one day be worked out. And then in the grace of God, as the time drew near for the end of that bitter bondage and enslavement, he sent to them his servant Moses. And on that great night, forever known as Passover night, the Lamb was slain and its blood sprinkled over the lintel and the doorpost of every faithful Israelite's house. And as the destroying angel passed over at midnight and struck the firstborn among every Egyptian family, that sheltering blood of the Lamb preserved the families of the Israelites from judgment. And so you remember in that lovely ritual that is also recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, when on the annual Passover night, the youngest member of the family would ask the patriarchal father, What mean ye by this service? It would be explained that on that ever-memorable night, the angel of destruction passed over the elect of God and destroyed instead their enemies, and so accomplished their freedom from bondage and from slavery. Now what Paul is doing, beloved, is reminding us that in the table of the Lord there is a similar proclamation to this. Behold that table. It is not the bloody lamb 
that is spread there in our gaze anymore with the bitter herbs that were so reminiscent of that bitter bondage of Egypt. But it is altogether another lamb that is portrayed and tangibly and visibly set before us in our very sight, the Lamb of God symbolized by the bread that is broken and the wine that is outpoured. Another lamb's death in the place of that Old Testament lamb, as he says to us, this is my body, this is my blood. And he comes and he says to every believer here in this service this morning, yes, I am the Passover lamb now, and I have come to shed my blood and shelter you from God's avenging anger against the helpless sinner and release you from sin's bondage that you may be freed to be my people. And this I have done in my great death upon the cross that was your death that you deserved and I died and took it in your place that you might be freed to be my people. And this is what we are proclaiming, my dear friend, here today. Does not your heart leap with joy within you as you think of this truth that lies at the very heart and the foundation of your salvation? The Lamb of God that taketh away my sin, yes, even mine, it is this Christ that we proclaim together as we break bread at this table of our Lord. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of God's people. But the second thing you notice that Paul brings to us in that lovely verse, verse 26, that summarizes so much of the meaning of this service in which we are participating, the second meaning is not simply that we proclaim Christ as our Savior, but we partake of Christ as our sustainer. Now, do you see that there at the very beginning of verse 26, in the command of the Lord Jesus that Paul refers to, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, reminiscent of the words of Jesus with which he instituted the supper. How did he institute it? Take, eat, drink this, both an invitation and a command to God's faithful people. And what it speaks of is partaking in Christ as our sustainer. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning how very beautifully the Lord Jesus relates then our remembrance of him to a very ordinary event that it, com that it may convey to us this truth about him being our sustainer. What do we do every day of our lives? At breakfast time, at lunch time, if you eat lunch, at supper time, we eat and we drink. And very often we eat and we drink together in 
families are very precious time for the family. We are daily engaged in that activity without which life would be impossible. In that activity which day by day and hour by hour sustains our bodies in health and strength and vigor and life without which all human life would be impossible upon the earth. And Jesus takes that ordinary and homely figure of eating and drinking and applies it to the way in which he is to be remembered. Eat this, drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Because, beloved, by him we are not only saved from the avenging wrath of Almighty God, but by him we are sustained. And I think I've told you before of those experiences that are very precious to anyone who has worshipped in the Reformed Church, in other lands, in Scotland, in certain countries of Europe, where on the communion Sabbath morning all the pews and the pew racks are draped with white cloths. Because in the worshipper's mind, they are eating and drinking in the sense that they are being sustained by the Lord Jesus and they are coming to a meal that is a fellowship meal with him and speaks of our utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus for life and spiritual health and all things. And there is nothing more beautiful in a sense in the communion services of these ancient and reformed lands, than to see the whole of that church bedecked, as it were, in white cloths in preparation for that eating and drinking symbolically of Christ himself. Beloved, as you come this morning, is that your thought at this table? But more than that, you know, this figure also speaks to us, and here it becomes very personal, not just of being sustained by Christ, but participating in him. You see, this beautiful picture that Christ has given to us of himself and of his benefits is not just to be looked at. I am not a spectator at this wonderful feast that sustains me by faith in my Lord, but, beloved, I am a participator in it. And it is so clear to us from these words of the Apostle in verse 26, whenever you eat and whenever you drink, you proclaim him, that here is participation before us on the part of those who have benefited from the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why in our biblical and reformed tradition it is unscriptural and wrong for an unbeliever to come to the table of the Lord because he is not a participator. He is merely a spectator of those rich blessings that do not belong to him yet, but do belong to the sheep of Christ and the chosen of God. And an unbeliever can never be a worthy communicant at the table of the Lord Jesus. 
nor can an ignorant believer be a worthy participant at that table. Unless he has come to a knowledge, however simple but real, of the meaning of the death of Christ and the meaning of faith and the need for repentance, and has come to know indeed that he is resting upon Christ alone for his salvation. Nor can a grossly inconsistent professor of the Christian faith come to that table in a worthy manner, and Paul, you remember, warns us against such a person coming and says to the Corinthians, this is why there is sickness spread among you, and some have even died because there are sanctions attached to the seals of the covenant under the New Testament as there were sanctions attached to it under the Old Covenant. And if someone who is grossly inconsistent as a Christian and living in known and open sin attempts to come to the table of the Lord, let him be warned that what he is doing is dangerous for him and dangerous for the fellowship of which he is part. But, oh, my friends, what blessings there are in coming to the table where Christ is the sustainer and we are the participants, made worthy by his grace, with humbled hearts and repentant minds and seeking spirits, longing to feed upon Christ by faith to our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Oh, what a blessing that truly is. Let me ask you this morning, are you coming this morning? Just as an admirer? Just as a spectator? Or are you coming as a participator, thankful for all that you have received from him? Well, you know, thirdly, in this verse, is the thought not only that we have Christ as our Savior, and we partake of Christ as our sustainer, but we are even now preparing for Christ as our sovereign. Because you notice at the very end of verse 26, Paul says that we are to share communion in this way with the Lord Jesus until he come again. And isn't this a beautiful thought that even now, indeed, he is our sovereign, But in another sense, we are waiting and preparing ourselves for the day when he will be utterly and completely our sovereign, when in the glory of God and the surrounding angels of heaven, he will return and take his church to himself at the end of time until he come and we are preparing for Christ as that great sovereign. Now, beloved, isn't it wonderful this morning that there is a before and there is an after in the Lord's Supper. It looks before, but it also looks after. We look back at the sacrifice that he has paid, at the death that he has died in becoming our Savior. We look at the present in the provision that he makes for God's people as we eat and drink and by faith nourish ourselves 
upon the Lord Jesus, the living bread and the living water. But there is also a before and an ahead in the Lord's Supper as we look for that great day when this supper shall no longer be a temporary meal upon the earth, but an eternal feast in the glory of heaven when our Lord Jesus shall come again. And so in one of our communion hymns, you remember, we sing feast after feast, thus comes and passes by, yet passing points to the glad feast above, the Lamb's great bridal feast of bliss and love. What a beautiful foretaste that is. Do you ever think of the Lord's table, beloved, as an appetizer for what is to follow? A temporary table here upon the earth, an unfinished meal, if you like, that is the harbinger and the promise of the eternal fellowship that shall know no end at the eternal feast, at the heavenly board of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I encourage you this morning with all my heart, develop that sense of a foretaste of better and greater things to come. It is only until he comes that we sit at his table here on earth. So in conclusion, this. Dear friend, let me ask you, do you come to this table as one the eyes of whose spiritual understanding have been opened to see that in Christ there is far more for you than you have ever even dreamed of or known? or certainly attained to. Look to him this morning at his table. Long for him this morning at his table. And in this rich banquet that is a feast of heavenly things, confess afresh that you proclaim him before the world as your Savior, that you partake of him with joy as your sustainer, that you prepare yourself with expectation for him as your sovereign who one day will come in the glory of his power. And as you go out into this poor dark world, as those whose faith has been renewed and vision has been enlarged, may you have your eyes indeed upon that great and coming king a table bounteously laden with benefits stored up for us in Christ. Come to it, eat and drink at it, and may our gracious Savior furnish us well with all things needful to glorify his name. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we thank you for these great thoughts drawn from the Holy Scriptures themselves. And our prayer and heart's desire is that truly and spiritually we may feed upon Christ by faith to our growth in grace and to his glory. 
and so may acknowledge him as Savior and as Sustainer and as Sovereign and own with fresh surrender to his will that he is our only Lord, our only Master, whose glory we intensely desire for his name's sake. Amen.